You know, Advent's this time of, of awaiting and arrival. I, I've been waiting for that song, Sandra, so thank you. That's one of my favorite parts of the Christmas time is hearing Sandra sing that song. I've been playing it on repeat on my computer. I just wanted to hear it live, so uh, so good. Well, let's pray together. Would you just do this? Would you just take, take a second and just ask God this simple prayer? Lord, would you prepare my heart for what you want to say today? Take a moment. Make that your prayer if you're willing. Lord, we understand how dynamic a simple prayer like that can be. And we know the theme today of prepared is, is very, very important, especially uh, here on the 10th day of December. There's, there's weeks to go. Uh, a little bit of time has already passed, but we realize how quickly it can all get away. But there's something special about this time that helps us see something so amazing about who you are and what you want to be in our lives. And so we do pray that John's message uh, to us today would resonate with our hearts as well as it did with those uh, who first heard it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my guess is uh, December 10th means that your life has gotten a little bit busier than it was uh, a few days ago. You're, you're starting to feel that lack of margin, and your to-do lists are getting a little longer. You're, uh, you're realizing there's just a little bit more that you need to, to take care of. Uh, calendars get fuller and fuller. Uh, uh, there, there's a lot of good stuff, but you realize it all requires some level of preparation, right? And I don't know anyone that, that doesn't like to be prepared, uh, in fact, being unprepared for me, that's when I had, most of my nightmares are about being unprepared. It's me backstage and I'm ready to come out and for whatever reason, I can't find my shirt or whatever it is. It's those weird kind of things where you're like, that's just weird. Why am I so stressed about being unprepared? Uh, uh, but Christmas is one of those times where you feel unprepared uh, and you can, you, when you feel unprepared, you just feel uh, uh, just so off. Like, uh, uh, have you, you ever felt unprepared for a gift exchange? Maybe someone gives you something and then you weren't prepared for that, and you have that feeling of gift guilt that's going on, and so you're looking, you know, in your drawers for maybe like, you know, half-eaten, uh, whatever, bag of candy or something that you can put a bow on or whatever it is. My wife knows that I panic a little bit uh, because I don't prepare for, for gifts. We have a plan, and for whatever reason, I just, I get so busy, then all of a sudden, that last week, then I, I get really reckless and I kind of, I, I, I divert from the plan. And so uh, she, she sat me down on Monday and it was like, we were in a restaurant and it was like a mom and a six-year-old and she was trying to explain to me the rules. Now you understand the plan, nod, okay? And you're not gonna go rogue from the plan because she knows like at some point when, when I do that, I become a danger to myself and to the rest of society because I, I just think I, I've just gotta, I gotta get all these gifts and And I'm confident that if I break the plan this year, next year we'll sit in the restaurant again and her attorney will be on the other side and there will be like some documents that I'll need to fill out. I love the Christmas cards that you are sending us that uh, we get uh, these perfect manicured families and I wonder, like, how much preparation went into those moments? Like, like what kind of sedatives did, had to be used? What kind of bribery had to be used? And, and everything, all the out, matching outfits from youngest to oldest, somehow, some, we gave up on that a long time ago. There was just no way. So I actually, I love it when a family actually is willing to send the, the authentic photo, what, what it really feels like, like something like this where you get, right? This, this really is, and this is our family. We're a hot mess. We try. We joy. Good luck. Uh, 
But Christmas is a very tough time to feel unprepared. And one of the things about Christmas is that there is, it, it, it is preceded by what we call Advent. So this, we, we shared last week this idea of Advent. It's just, it's the simple idea of, of anticipating someone or something special coming. And so there's a, there's a rhythm to this season, or there can be in your life, where you, in essence, are kind of, kind of inching yourself closer and closer and closer to the manger. You're, you're, you're finding yourself uh, maybe at first not really prepared for it. I, I know for myself, uh, you know, before last week, I was kind of like, ah, Christmas is coming and, and, and feeling that stress. And then I began that kind of rhythm of Advent. I walked in here. I saw things starting to be decorated. I was listening to some of the songs that they were rehearsing and something happened. It was just kind of like, ah, Christmas is coming. And just this kind of subtle way that God can use this season to take us closer and closer and closer to the Christmas miracle. And, and Sondra pointed out so well, uh, even we sung this in the first carol, we sang, uh, let every heart prepare him room. This, this idea that there is this, there's something about getting our hearts prepared. If there's something about this season that, that it's really unlike any other season in the year that, that we realize preparation is a key part to taking in everything. And it was key to, it's key to the whole Christmas story that there's a part of the Christmas story that is really about preparing yourself. It's about everything that's going to happen before the big event happens. And so this, this, feeling of Advent, this kind of celebration of Advent, it really fits in with the biblical story. In fact, sometimes you miss this story because you just think in some ways you're looking for like, you kind of skip over it because you want to get to the good stuff. Give me the Jesus part of the story and you kind of uh, miss it. But there is a story that runs side by side to the birth of Jesus and it's all about preparing your hearts and it's about a miracle birth and and, and and the purpose of this birth is our big idea today. So if you're taking notes, you can follow along with us. And our big idea is this, is that we should prepare our hearts for Jesus. We should prepare our hearts for Jesus. That this is a key theme to the Christmas story is that part of you getting ready for Jesus is is preparing your heart. And God knew he was gonna do something so big that the only way people could really take it in is if their hearts were prepared first for it. And so uh, there is this incredible story about uh, the, the cousin of, of Jesus, his name is John, and the miraculous birth of John and how the story of John uh, always runs side by side with the story of Jesus. And so I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. And after centuries of silence, God had chose this special moment to act with forgiveness and salvation And this is a huge moment for the world, so he's intentionally making preparations. And so here you have, alongside of Jesus, this miraculous birth, this this other miraculous birth, uh, 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 Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest, and Elizabeth's wife, they were older, they were barren, they had no children. And an angel appears to Zechariah while he is serving his, his role as priest, and uh, this, this birth is announced and the role that his son is going to play. And so although more conventional, they also have a miraculous child. And John is six months older than Jesus. He's, he's Jesus' cousin. But every time John is mentioned in the Bible, the mention of Jesus is right there with it. Uh, every time you see John's story, Jesus' story is right there with it. And so it's a very important part. If you miss the story of John, you might miss the story of Jesus. 
And so John's role was to prepare the way for Jesus, for his coming. And he was predicted uh, uh, hundreds of years before. And so one of the things that we're trying to help you see a little bit uh, through this Christmas season is there are these moments that are prophetic, that are then a part of his birth, that are then a part of his life and ministry. There's this way that you see this kind of line, this golden thread all tied together. And so this idea of preparation began hundreds of years before the the prophet Isaiah speaking that this was going to happen. This was the same thing that the angel told Zechariah. And this is the thing that we see ultimately John is going to do in Luke 3 is prepare the way for Jesus. In fact, hundreds of years before, as the prophet had said, Uh, The angel said these words, if you turn back a page in Luke chapter 1, verse 16, you'll see it. It says, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children. uh, And the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make the needy, uh, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so before John is even born... John is given a purpose. Make people's hearts ready for the Lord. He will go first. He will prepare the people. He will help their hearts be ready and be changed. And today I want you to help you to see why this is so important. And so if we're going to prepare, first thing you need to understand is preparation involves rearranging. It involves rearranging. So 700 years ago, uh, or before this moment, the prophet speaks He's going to prepare the way. He's going to clear the path. Then the angel comes. He says that moment is coming in this child. And so Luke, when he's writing this part, he says, look, there actually came a moment in history. And he gives you in those first two verses, he kind of sets a historical context. and, And Luke's a historian, and this is very important. And he says, and in that moment, everything the angel said and everything the prophet said started to happen. And notice what it says in verse 3. It says, He went into all the country around the Jordan, John, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, And all the people will see God's salvation. So here it is, he's speaking. And and, and so this imagery is really important as you think about this. So the imagery of of valleys being filled in, about mountains being smoothed out, it's all poetic. It's all a metaphor. And so it it, it takes them back into this ancient world where they knew that if a king was going to come to your village, there would be an announcement. Someone would go before and say that this, this king was coming. And what the people in that village would do is that they would, they would, they would take their, their main road and they, would, they became Caltrans workers. They were all working on it. They were filling in every pothole. They were filling in. They were moving stuff. Literally, they were moving things. They were making. They felt it was such an honor that the king would come to their town, that they made every preparation, that the road was obstacle-free. And so they worked very hard to, to, to do all this. And so John is saying... The king is coming. He's announcing this. And so he's, he's challenging them. Okay, so we've got to get to work. But notice what John is saying. He's saying not that we have to, to, to work at the terrain of the, of the uh, literal roads, but we need to work on the terrain of our hearts. John was focused on the heart. 
He was concerned about the condition of people's hearts. And if they were going to receive Jesus well, their hearts had to be changed. So if you want Jesus to have unimpeded access to your heart, you have to be willing to rearrange some things in your life. And for John, this is done through what he calls repentance. Now, when you hear the word repent, probably two images come to mind real quick because we, we, we see it and we hear it. And our, our brains kind of flash back to maybe you're at Angel Stadium or another big event. And you see the people out in front with the big yellow signs and, and they're kind of, you kind of feel a little bit of shame. Uh, or maybe you hear some guy on a corner at the beach with a bullhorn and they're yelling, repent. Some kind of destruction is going to come if you don't repent and you feel the sense of guilt and shame that goes with it. Well, first century, if they heard this idea of repentance, what they heard was it was an idea of turning yourself back to God. It was about a change of mind. It was about a change of heart. It was about a change of life. It was moving yourself of knowing this way is not the way to go and, and turning yourself back towards God. It was a change of mind, a change of heart. It was about a change of life. However you have strayed, however you have wandered, turn yourself back to God. Repentance is about change. And we see that as John begins to speak to the crowds. So notice that verse seven, it says this. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin by saying to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? Uh, the crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some of the soldiers asked him, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Now let's stop there for a second and just kind of notice the crowd. So John is out in the desert and he's, he's, he's baptizing people. He's calling them to repentance. There's this kind of fascinating revival that's taking place out in the desert. And as this is happening, uh, different people are showing up. So you see uh, uh, one thing that's happening, you see it in some of the other accounts, is that the religious leaders who were there, they were kind of finding their way out to the desert. They're hearing the rumors of what's going on. And they're, they're kind of checking in to see, what, is this kosher or not? Is this, what is going on out here? And they're looking and you almost can tell the way that they're kind of sneaking up and sneaking in. He uses this term, he says, you brood of vipers. And he, he says to them, uh, don't think just because your heritage or your background or because you go to church that that's what God is looking for. Notice what he's saying. It, God can do that. He can, he can make a rock do that. He's saying, verse 8, we see this kind of powerful thing. Produce fruit in keeping with uh, repentance. Produce fruit, verse 8 says, in keeping re with repentance. This is kind of this key. I notice it's not just this, this, this sense of heritage or even this kind of mental thing. He says, when he says produce fruit, your life should show that there's some kind of change going on inside of you. The rearranging of your heart will rearrange your life. And he begins to give some examples. He says, look, here's, here's a first example. Be generous. If you have two, give to those who don't have any. Your life should be marked by this radical generosity. If you have two, give one. If you have two, give one. 
If you're going to embrace this king, and, and, and we know this, this king is unlike any king. Here's a king. Many servants gave their life for a king, but did a king, what king has ever given his life for his servants? This is the generous life that we see in generous. And if you're not going to get your heart around generosity, you won't, you won't be able to understand and be able to come with him because this is who he is. And so he encouraged them, if you have two, give one. This is why I love our reverse advent. If you guys are, are doing that, I don't know if you've seen, there's a, these little tubs out on the, on the uh, uh, patio and a little calendar. And so instead of an advent where you, you, every day you open it up and you get something, a little chocolate or whatever, uh, the reverse advent, we're inviting families and really anyone, our hope is to make about 200 uh, of these gift boxes. We have uh, three different local charities and inviting people every day, whether it's a scripture to read, a prayer to pray, or something to give, Every day we're kind of thinking about how can we give ourselves away to bless other people. If you have two, give one. So we need to wrestle with excessiveness and greed and all these things that are brought on by the world. If you have two, give one. So how does your heart reflect the renovation that it's going through by acting with generosity What does that look like? How is God pressing upon you to say, you have enough. Give it away. Give it away. Give it away. He then says to be honest. Tax collectors are coming to him. They're saying, what should we do? And tax collectors had a lot of power, a lot of leverage because the Roman government was on their side. They were collecting taxes uh, for the the Romans. And so uh, you can see why they were really, anytime there's a passage about tax collectors, you you get this sense. They are not popular. They're pretty much hated by everyone there because they could not only ask for what you owe, they could add something on it for themselves and there was nothing you could do about it. And so notice what John says to them. He, said, he challenged them because they sense something going on. There's this, there's, this, there's this work that God is doing, and they sense it, and they say, what should we do? And he says, be honest. He tells them, if they feel the sense of wandering, uh, don't take what's not yours. Just because you can get away with it doesn't mean you should do it. And you and I start feeling like there's something there for us as well. Even if it's socially acceptable, even if no one will find out, even if no one will call you out, don't be that person any longer. Be honest. Be honest. Can you think of ways that maybe you're sacrificing your integrity to get ahead, to get what you want? Are you cheating the rules, the system, yourself, in any ways to kind of give yourself a a head up? John says, this is not who we're designed to be, and you know it, you feel it. They felt it, and they were saying, what do we do? He says, be honest. Be honest. And then you see a third group, the soldiers that are coming. And in this culture, the soldiers had complete power. They could, they could do to people really what they wanted to do, and they could use their power to, to get money from people or to uh, accuse people falsely. And notice this, this kind of idea of contentment. Be content. Don't take advantage of people. Don't abuse your authority to get yourself ahead. And we find ourselves asking the same question. 
Lord, if you're going to prepare my heart, how, am I, how may I be abusing authority? How might I be trying to get myself the advantage, get myself ahead, using my power with my family or with my friends or with my coworkers? How am I using my power to get myself an advantage? And Jesus says, be content and you won't need to abuse authority. You won't need to get yourself ahead. And all these things are happening and something quite powerful is going on. There's the, everyone's, they're, they're flooding out to the desert. They're coming out to, for this baptism. And this is something, this is, it, it's special. This is the first time that we see a, a baptism that is happening where someone else is baptizing. So up until this point, if you were going to convert to Judaism, you would, if you were a Gentile, you would uh, baptize yourself. It was part of a cleansing ritual that you went through. But now for the first time, someone else is baptizing and for the first time, Jews themselves are being baptized. And there's this sense of this, this washing, this cleansing, this, this sense of being immersed in, in this new life. And they're coming because they, their hearts are turning and they're preparing the way. They're, rearrange, they're trying to figure out how, the, how to rearrange their lives so they can take in all that God wants to do. And you can sense from John that all of this is for a purpose. And the purpose is this. The purpose of preparation is to make Jesus greater in our lives. It's to make Jesus greater. This comes out so clearly as they begin to speak to John. His, his mission is so effective and so many people are coming out that people start to wonder, maybe he's the one. Maybe he's the one we've all been waiting for. Notice in verse 15, this conversation continues. It says, the people were waiting expectantly and we're all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. And John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. When they came to John and they asked if he was the Messiah, he says, not even close. When he comes, Man, I can't even, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. This is, the, this is the job of the lowest of the lowest of the lowest servants. And he says, that, you know that servant? I'm even below him. When he comes, and notice what he's saying. He's saying, look, I've been baptizing you with water. But when he comes, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm only been baptizing you with water. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And this word baptize means to immerse something to drench something, to dip into it, to plunge. He's saying, I've been, I've, been, I've been plunging you into water. He is going to drench you with his spirit. And the spirit of God, this is what the prophets have been saying. Many of the different prophets have said it one way or another. They've been saying these words, that there will come a day where he will pour out his spirit. He will pour out his spirit. He will pour out his spirit. And John is saying, when he comes, that day will come as well. And he will pour out his spirit. And your life will be drenched in his power and his presence. But you've got to prepare or you'll miss it. And it's fascinating as you kind of watch this whole thing. You see uh, John saying all these things about it. And he begins to say if he, uh, in verses 17 to 18, you sense this, this sense of authority that he will have when he comes. And it says in verse 18 that he continues to proclaim this good news. This, it's coming. He's coming. Now, it's very interesting with John himself 
that John understood that, that this whole preparation was about making Jesus greater and greater and greater. And we see this actually as, uh, as later as Jesus' ministry begins to take off. The, the people continue to come out to the, the Jordan to be baptized, but now they're going to Jesus' disciples instead of John's. And John's disciples are, are they're, they're like, hey, John, we're losing our popularity. They're all going over to him. And John has a fascinating response. It's found in John chapter 3. I'll put it here on the screen. It says here, it says, You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah. I'm sent ahead of him. And then he says these words, The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. And here's a line. If you have one line underlined in your Bible, it might be this. He must become greater, I must become less. He must become greater, and I must become less. Now, just some context in a Jewish wedding, the the best man. John's saying this, I'm only the best man. And my job, you know what a best man does. A best man's job is to put all the attention on the bride and the groom. And so what a best man did in a Jewish wedding, had a unique role uh, and so he was this li- liaison between the bride and the, and the groom. He arranged the wedding. He set out the invitations. He presided at the wedding feast. And then on the wedding night, he stood guard at the wedding chamber. And so as the bride was inside in the darkness, it was his job to make sure that no other lover went into that door. His job was to protect. But he knew the voice of the groom. And when he heard that vo- the voice of the groom in the darkness, he knew then he could open the door because his job was to bring those lovers together. And John says, this, this is my role. My role is simply to prepare the people for their groom. This bride for their groom, people for their God. My job is simply to make more and more and more of him and less and less and less of me. Have you ever been in a wedding where someone in the bridal party upstaged the bride and groom. Rather awkward, right? Like you're like, like I mean, nothing will make you cringe more than watching someone in a bridal party kind of upstage that. And, and, and John is saying, my job is simply to make more and more of Jesus, less and less of me. My joy, he says, is in him becoming greater. But notice this, I, I think a lot of us would say that, Right, I want Jesus to become greater and greater and greater and greater. But can you say the other line? And I must become less. It, it's not these rival elevators kind of climbing up together. It's really more like a teeter-totter. He becomes more and I become less. See, here's, here's the, our vision, our mission together is to, we try to be very clear about it, is to, to help you develop as an authentic follower of Jesus. See, we know very clearly the, the position. It's not us walking side by side. It's not us sharing directions and, and kind of sharing the route. It is clearly Jesus is in front. He is in the lead. And we understand that. He must become greater. We must become less. We trust him. We follow him. He is our guide. He is our leader. He is our Lord. He is our king and our allegiance is to him and him alone. Preparation is about rearranging and the purpose of that is so that Jesus could become greater and greater and greater and greater in your life. But here's the last thing I want you to see. It's so powerful that not only does it have the power to affect your life, it has a, the, the, really the power to affect and change the whole world. 
Preparation points others to Jesus. If we stand back and look at the whole life and ministry of John the Baptist, we we see something uh, in particular. Uh, One writer uh, says it this way, that his whole life can be summed up in the image of a finger pointing to the one who was coming to say, he's the one. He's the one I want you to see, Jesus Christ. And he writes this, he says, if we are to take on John's role of preparing the way in today's world, our lives also become the pointing fingers of living witness who demonstrate that Jesus can be found and that he's near. There's something quite spectacular about your life pointing to someone greater than yourself. What does your life point to? What is your life pointing to? And you and I know, maybe more than ever, this, this is a time in our history where it is so important that our lives, not just our fingers or our voices, but our lives point to Jesus Christ. Because right now, everyone's vision and understanding of what Christians are like, the only way that in some way that they're going to know that there's something different about Christianity is if they experience in us the fruit of repentance, that our lives are somehow so different. So when they hear a media report or, or, or portrayal or persona that they want to create or, or someone else is saying things or you're seeing things on social media and you're saying, in some ways they say, I hear that. That's not what I encounter when I'm with these people. They're not like that. And so there, there, there should be some disconnect when they encounter and experience your life that somehow your life so points to the greatness of Jesus through your honesty and, 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 and through your contentment and through your generosity and through all the things that makes Jesus greater and greater that somehow people are they're, they're confused a little bit. And they say, when I see them, I feel like I, I understand better what it means to be a Christian. You and I play a role, an important role, in pointing to the greatness of Jesus. This is why we we always try to remind you, whether you know it or not, you do have a circle, a relational world of people who are wondering and are seeing Jesus through you. We call it 8 to 15. And it's the simple idea that there are about 8 to 15 people in your life, maybe more, maybe less, but some people who know the Lord, and, and there's ways that your life still points to Jesus and other people who don't. But your life points them to Jesus or points them to something else. What is your life pointing to? As Matt said, we encourage you, point them to Jesus this season, the the Christmas Eve services, all the things going on. But more importantly than pointing them to a service, may your life, may your life point them to his greatness. So I want to close with a, a, a prayer And the prayer is simply this. How is God inviting you to prepare? How is God inviting you to prepare? It's December 10th, so there's still a lot of time. Uh, Christmas isn't beyond you. There's still a lot of time for God to just use this season in in the most unique way. And I want you to offer a a prayer, and it's this. Just to say, in essence, kind of an open hands to say to the Lord, here's my heart. Here's my heart. What obstacles need to be removed? What things need to be rearranged so that my life points to you more and more? What, what does it look like so that you can become greater and greater 
and greater. And so I'm going to invite you to a moment of silence. We'll give you about a minute or so just to silently pray and ask the Lord to reveal that to you. And then in just a moment, the band will come and they'll lead you. But just take a moment. Let's bow together and pray and ask this, God, how are you inviting me to prepare? Let's pray.